This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Lali Arakoglu. Hello! This week, we are doing something a little different and speaking from the heart on a Women Who Travel love hotline of sorts. With Valentine's Day coming up, we decided it was time to chat about the ins and outs of long-distance relationships. Joining us this week are community editor Megan Sparrell. Hello. And journalist Sarah Walton. Hello. Who have both lived the LDR life. Sure have. So I would love to start, maybe with Lale, um, and ask how the long distance stretch or stretches of your relationship started and whether or not you had a plan on how you were going to tackle surviving that time apart. Uh, we had absolutely no plan. It was no plan at all. I was in my early 20s. You don't have plans then. I barely have plans now. (laughs) But I think we knew pretty quickly that we were onto something pretty good. And it definitely like wasn't like any relationship that I'd had before. Um, Obviously, it's slim pickings when you're 23. But, you know, we were were excited. And I think, you know, just before we started recording, we were talking about this, which is that then you kind of have two options at the beginning of a relationship when you're from different places and different countries in my case, which is that either you can be totally logical and sensible and just call it quits before you even get emotionally invested in each other. Or if you're like me, who watched far too many rom-coms growing up, <laughs> you get swept up in the romance of it all and you kind of let yourself enjoy it. And then by the point where you actually have to start planning, making those decisions, it's too late and you're totally invested. You're like past the point of no return. (laughs) Yeah, and you're like, all right, I guess we're just in this together now. Megan, how about you? Yeah, I think, so when we were talking about this yesterday, I was remembering that like the first high school boyfriend I ever had was also started as a long distance relationship (laughs) because I was going on a summer trip, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I feel like, yeah, it's something you never plan, but you also you right away have to be like, how much do I like this person? Like, am I willing to go through a lot of inconveniences for them? And you start asking yourself those big questions so much sooner. And I think, yeah, for me as well, I just, right when those questions came up, I was like, yeah, I would do some crazy things for this person. Like I would travel a lot and spend a lot of time on the phone and become a lot more familiar with Skype. Sure. And then you just (laughs) suddenly you're doing it. And in my case, it's five years later and you're still doing it. I agree. Absolutely no plan whatsoever. And I think if you told me at the time that I would have been doing a long distance relationship for six years in the end, uh, I'm not sure I would have 
actually gone for it at the time but you don't think like that uh, and I met my boyfriend while we were both traveling and assumed it was a little holiday romance uh, and it kept going and and you're right it does make you have to make big decisions early on because you can't break up with someone who's just flown across the world to see you uh, vice versa if you put all that money on a plane ticket when you get there you don't want them to turn around and go oh it's not really working now <laughs> so you have to be quite sure um, at the same time I think it's it means you you develop a, a very different kind of relationship because you spend all this time apart and you have to talk to each other. And it helps you. People assume that because you're, you're separated, you don't have a strong relationship. And I think it's the opposite because you, you really get to know that person with just talking for hours on end in between your trips. I think that's such an interesting point. Because I, and, and, you know, part of it is for me, is we, we met when we were really young. And so people, a lot of people, older and my peers included, like I don't think necessarily took how serious I was about it particularly seriously but you kind of you fast track a lot of the decisions that you sometimes um and are over for a long time in a relationship even as basic as like are we exclusive like what does that mean like are we allowed to see other people even though you're in completely different continents and yeah we spoke for hours and hours over Skype and actually thinking about um having the person fly over to see you reminded me of the first time that my now husband, because it worked out, spoiler, Chris flew over to see me in London and I was very broke and was saving up money to, you know, be able to come over to New York. And so I was actually just like living with my parents for a while. And um, Chris arrived at Heathrow and very characteristically was totally unprepared, had no information with him, including didn't have my parents' dress. And I'm waiting at Arrivals, Terminal 5. It's, you know, actually, what you know, where the love actually opening scene is filmed. I was all like, <laughs> I was ready. And then everyone comes off the flight. No one appears. Still no Chris. Time goes by. Oh, no. And then <laughs> this unknown number phones by phone. And it is UK immigration. And they had detained him. Oh, no. <laughs> Chris. And it was because he had not been able to put an address on his landing card. Well, he had put something, which was that he knew the neighbourhood that my parents lived in. So all he had written in all caps was Notting Hill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I had to speak to this immigration agent on the phone for quite a while and vouch for him and have, you know, say that he would be sent back to America within so many days. And um, it was a whole ordeal. And, you know, he had... You know, he's American and has great passport privilege, so he knew he was going to be fine. But it was a real introduction to our back and forth across the ocean. I feel like they would have just thought he was some crazy person who had some obsession with Julia Roberts. I mean, he looked like an absolute idiot. (laughs) I'm getting, like, images of Joey and friends when he first goes to London. Like, they're just like, oh, this So I had exactly the same situation. This was at a very small uh, airport in the northeast of England. Uh, It was a very small flight. There was probably about six people. And after about 40 minutes... Minutes. My partner still hadn't come through. I was the only person waiting. And then two burly immigration security officers come out and come up to me and say, are you waiting for someone? I'm That's like, what yes. said on the phone. Who would that person be? And then they proceeded to question me for about 10 minutes, but quite personal questions. So, uh, you know, when was your partner last here? And I couldn't remember under the pressure because he'd been coming to the UK a lot. And then he's, they were saying things like, so are you planning to get married? And I was like, why? Well, what is 
what has he said? <laughs> <laughs> it was like they'd spoken to my parents or something and were trying to get some answers. But yeah, it's things like that where you just, you know, you don't expect to have to suddenly worry that your partner's going to get picked up by immigration and not allowed in for a holiday for entirely innocent reasons. My dad got like very on his high horse about it and was like, this is ridiculous. Why should he have somewhere to stay? He's a free spirit. And he, was <laughs> no. like, what? he was like, what if he wants to sleep on a bench in a park? <laughs> Classic. We need more people like your dad. <laughs> Truly, we do. Um, but I want to go back to something you were saying earlier, which is that both of you were saying that sometimes people don't take your relationship as seriously. Um, and I feel like a lot of times, long distance relationships, you don't overlap with, you know, the things that are going on in your personal life and in your work life and your family life. How do you grapple with sharing those things with making sure the other person is included, that you are included in their day-to-day life? How does that pan out in reality? Well, I, so actually a couple years ago, we wrote something on Traveler that was like in defense of the long distance relationship. And we had a bunch of, of different editors on staff write something they'd learned or why they still believed in it. And mine was like all about how people, your worlds don't overlap and you have this like this person who's so important to you, but also like none of the other people in your world know them because they're on the other side of the world. And to me, that has always been harder than like integrating into Henry's life um, because the two of us, like Henry and I can FaceTime each other all day long. And I think, you know, sometimes you love talking about each other's days and sometimes you realize that doesn't really matter anymore. And you just want to like talk about a random movie that you watched or, Um, or watch a movie on Skype together. That is a thing. I'm sure we've all done it. Um, But I think what's really hard is when the people who are so close to you are like, I can't believe I still haven't met this person. Like, who is he? And I think that's what can feel so unsettling sometimes. And I think like what I've learned is you have to really block it out because otherwise it starts making you think like, oh my gosh, am I crazy? Like, is this person even real? Like, why? Like, why hasn't my sister met someone I've dated for two years now and lived in Lima, Peru with? Like, I don't understand. And it, I think that's something that, like, I still don't know how you do it because until that person, like, visits and it lines up when, like, when your other people are around, it's it's kind of like you have to understand that you're going to be in this sort of isolated little bubble, but it's a really good bubble, so... It's hard, I think, for your family as well. I think my parents still feel like they would like to know Brian better, particularly because I think my my brother's wife has just been a huge part of our family since she was a teenager. So they know her really, really well. In comparison, they feel that they haven't had the opportunity to get to know him as well, Um, particularly now we are living together and they realise he's probably hopefully going to be around for a while (laughs) so we've made an effort to try and do big family occasions so um he's been over to spend christmas with my family or new years and you know trying to get all the family together at once in fact that was the first time he met my parents was on christmas eve right before a really big christmas the family christmas with the entire family there and he stayed for sort of four days so you know intense yes in the deep end It, it is the whole thing about long-distance relationships is in at the deep end. And so the two of you found quite an interesting way of meeting up and seeing each other regularly. Tell us a bit about that, because I'm very intrigued, because I did mine, so so mine, um, it was like it was a job. (laughs) I did it so differently. Well, we we went on holiday. We went on a lot of holidays. I was counting up earlier, and I think it was 35 countries over six years. 
don't ask me how many wow. trips there were because we repeated some trips. We did see each other at home and spent time in each other's home uh, countries, home cities. Um, but I was trying to remember how we, we started doing that. And I, I, it was not really planned. We'd seen each other. I visited him. He'd come to see me. And then I think Brian just said we were trying to decide what to, when to see each other again. He goes, I've always wanted to go to Istanbul. I'm like, me too. Yeah, let's go to Istanbul. Okay. And then that turned into a, a sort of an eight-day trip where we did Istanbul and Cairo and Dubai. Sort of whistle-stop all the way through. And it, we just really enjoyed it. It was a very different experience to seeing each other at home. There was always something to do. You were having all these amazing experiences together and it became really addictive. So after that, we decided, well, let's do another trip. And then, um, yeah, from, from there, it just, each time we left each other, we had sort of made a rough plan of what we were going to do for the next place and the next destination we wanted to go to. And uh, and it and it carried on from there. And it became, I became our thing for a long time. <laughs> I think that's also really interesting because from my experience, traveling with someone is usually a pretty good indication of whether you want to live with someone. I agree. What were some of the sort of things you learned as you started to kind of tackle the challenges of traveling together? Um, always, when you're booking a hotel, check what the bathroom is like. Because on your, essentially, what is your second date with someone, if you turn up and discover it has one of these fancy open plan bathrooms, oh. <laughs> it leads to a very interesting situation. And you do, these bathrooms, they don't have proper doors, they have one of these big glass panels, and oh you know, God. you need some kind of privacy at the beginning of your relationship. So I spend a lot of time ringing hotels going, I'd love to come stay with you. Could you describe your bathroom suite to me and particularly how solid the door is? <laughs> I feel like from the outside, it seems like it's the perfect way to create new memories where no one has, and this isn't the right way to put it, but like the upper hand, like no one is in their place. So by going and traveling somewhere new, you're both experiencing something for the first time versus going to a place and seeing how someone else lives their life on the day to day. Absolutely. Did yes. that come into play at all? Yes, when you were I don't about think it. it I, I don't think I realised it mm -hmm. at the time that that's why it worked so well because no one was under pressure to be the host. Um, you were taking it in turns to decide what you did next, taking it in turns to decide who picked the next restaurant, and when you're travelling, you see each other at your best. I think if you love traveling, but also at your worst when you have to get up at one in the morning for the midnight flight that's then delayed for 10 hours and you're stuck in an airport with each other and you're tired and grumpy. And that's when you really, really see what someone is like. And it um, and, you know, just like as you have to spend hours talking to each other, it forges a very strong relationship, I think. You're kind of forced into a lot of the mundanities that you can avoid in the early stages of a relationship when you're in the same place, which is sort of feels like counterintuitive. Well, and I, I also find because of, you know, we were talking about how like this relationship can feel isolated from your everyday life. When a person you're in a long distance relationship with comes to visit, there are so many obligations. It's like this friend wants to meet them, that your family time. And it ends up being a lot about other people sometimes, which I think can be really hard. And when you're traveling, it's about you. It's the two of you doing your thing. And I like we've done Henry and I have done so many different versions of long distance but we had a period where we were also meeting up in different places and I think we figured okay we're already taking time off work we're already flying halfway across the world like it can be a different direction or 
we can make a trip out of this. And I think that's also how you keep feeling like you're having new memories with each other. And it's not just like an obligation of slogging back and forth between two places, which I think is kind of what grinds a lot of people down with it. They can't handle like just going back and forth, back and forth and feeling like it's just something they have to do. Um, I think that's also can be an indicator of when maybe the relationship isn't one worth going back and forth for, but still even the best, it can be really tiring and exhausting. I would say you make a really good point of that, like that idea. It's just the two of you and imagine a really good dinner date where you feel like there's no one else in the room. And I imagine that for four whole days in a city together. And my partner and I now live together and we do things like argue about who takes the bins out and very mundane things. And I, I still want us to go traveling. We have, you know, trips booked and I'm still really looking forward to it. We'll spend all day before with each other, but it'll be different when we get there because again, it's the two of us in a new place. Are you looking for ideas to make your life happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Listen to Happier with Gretchen Rubin, a weekly podcast hosted by two sisters. I'm Gretchen Rubin, the number one bestselling author of The Happiness Project. And I'm Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Each week we share fresh insights and practical solutions, such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for the year, or design your summer. Listen and follow the podcast Happier with Gretchen Rubin. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Okay, I have to say, though, after having been long distance, once you're, whether it's when you're traveling somewhere together or when you're finally living together for the first time, isn't the best thing, though, finally getting to argue about who takes the trash out? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's so sweet. It does feel like a luxury once you finally have it. Although the novelty wears off pretty quickly, (laughs) I will say. You have that first argument and we're like, okay. And we actually don't argue about the trash. Chris Chris is very good. If anything, I'm the one that's the lazy one. Um, We argue about different things. Have you ever used the, uh, I moved across the world for you? Oh, 100%. Actually, no, I mostly have when I'm really hungry and tired and I can't figure out what I want to cook for dinner, I'll have a meltdown in the supermarket and just be like, what is wrong with this country? Why are there so many options? Why don't you just have plain couscous? Why do you, why do you have 10 different flavours? And he, there's a lot of the this country that he gets. <laughs> it's funny, I hear a lot of this country. <laughs> it will be the other way around if and when we live in London and he will have to adjust to the quirks of the British people. And you'll have to just sit there and, and take it after all these years. Be very, very patient, yes. I'm and I love America, just for everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> I am curious how you all justify personal travel and trips that you take to visit other people or other vacations that you spend not traveling to see that person when you have someone you need to be visiting in a long distance relationship I think that's like a good issue to raise just in that having a long distance relationship is really expensive and you kind of like have to be a certain level of privilege to be able to have one in the first place like you have to be able to afford those flights or those that train or to have a car to drive to wherever the person is um and you have to kind of decide how you budget around that and what you prioritize and I think when we were first long distance, we're at a sort of different life stage from where we were now, where there wasn't as much personal travel happening just because we were 
living on much more of a budget. But I remember there was one sticking point where Chris had been invited to a wedding that was like in some far flung pace. And it was very much a choice of whether he kind of skipped the wedding to see me or skipped seeing me to attend this wedding. And we came to a conclusion and it was, you know, it all worked out. But it was really tough because I was like, I don't want to deprive you of your own fun and a life outside of me. But at the same time, like if we don't see each other, we won't see each other for six months. And then it's like six months is a really long time. And I think that was something that I always found really hard to do. And then I would feel guilty if I started planning my own travel without him. What was the conclusion of the argument? What ended up happening? Oh, he came to see me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I know I'm taking us in a, a loop right now, but something you said about the privilege of being able to visit each other. So Henry and I went through a stretch where like we we had two like six month stretches where we didn't see each other because I had a new job and had just moved and then he couldn't come into the country because he has to be out for a certain amount of time each year and like blah 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 and it was really expensive and and I remember people being like, well, how often do you guys see each other? That is always the first question people ask when you're in a long distance relationship and I'm like, that is not anyone's business. Um, like, don't remind me about this thing I'm stressed about. But I remember people being like, wow, it's been six months. That's crazy. And I'm like, I would love to be able to just jet off to Peru whenever I want. I would love that. I can't afford it. And that's why we're waiting. And I think it's like you realize all these things other people don't think about, of course. But it is like a really interesting experience to understand like the nuts and bolts of it just beyond like the emotional stress of being really far from a person you love. They're just so many other factors that go into it that are out of your control. And I think like as a couple, you have to be willing to stand up for them and you have to also make those choices to like sometimes miss out on other things or sometimes be like, I'm going to prioritize a personal trip, whether it's a friend's wedding or it's a trip with your girlfriends or it's a solo trip that like you've been dying to take. Like you have to make those choices sometimes, but also know that like when you start having patterns of either always choosing each other or never choosing each other, like they then become your relationship and that's it. I, I think you're right. There's, there are a lot of sacrifices you have to make to be able to get a long distance relationship to work. And I think I never figured out how to get a balance. And I think that's why increasingly over time I felt that it was going to have to come to an end, not the relationship, but the long distance part of it, because in the nuts and bolts of it, I was working every spare minute I had to get enough overtime to have the trips and the, to have the time for the trips and the money for the trips. So when I wasn't traveling, I was at work and it's actually quite exhausting. And the traveling was still lovely to have those experiences, but it was affecting the quality of my life <laughs> all the rest of the time. And, and it, you know, it was, it was just too hard to continue. Well, and I imagine you probably felt that you were almost like living in this weird sort of limbo where you were not committing wholly to being in the place that you were in, but unable to commit fully to your partner as well because he's not there. Absolutely, yeah. And you don't feel like you're doing either particularly well uh, and you have a split life. (laughs) You have a split life. You have a completely different life with your partner and a completely different life back at home with a job and, and, you know, your friends and family there. And um, I guess we talked about it earlier, the marrying the two together, but that's that's what what makes... That is the downside. There are many, many upsides of, of this kind of relationship, but that is the downside. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. 
In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. I noticed something interesting. So, Lala, you met when you were essentially like traveling in the U.S., mm-hmm. right? And you guys met while traveling and Henry and I met while traveling. I also just feel like this is an affliction that so many passionate travelers encounter. Like so many of the people I know who are in long distance relationships, they've been born of travel or living abroad. And they're these people who like have this interest in the world and people from different places. And it just like, I don't know, it feels like if you're someone who travels a ton, this is eventually going to happen to you, too. Well, well, I always wondered about people who have relationships that start off together and then become long distance. I guess some, sometimes it's forced. But if somebody, if a partner chooses to move away from someone they're in a relationship, I've always wondered how that must make it a very different dynamic, I think. You know? I had that. Oh, my goodness. Um, and clearly we broke up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it was a very different dynamic. The whole experience of the long distance was very, very different because it didn't feel like we were on kind of an equal, um, like equal playing field. I think that's important to feel that you're both equally put out by this yeah. is important, yeah. I think for the friends of mine that it, they've had to separate after being together, the ones that have worked out, there's always been an end date to that separation when it starts. So it's someone's going to grad school or someone's going for work assignment or whatever it is. And there is a light, I guess, at the end of the tunnel that they have to look forward to where they know that their life will return to the way it was, even if that thing happens often. Because I have a friend who is getting her uh, PhD. And so she travels for about six months out of the year and sometimes leaves for a year. But they know that for the other six months or a year at a time, they'll be back together. Um, And when I've talked to them about it, that's the way that it works for them. Because if there wasn't an end date, they don't know if they would be able to comfortably do it because it would be too difficult. Well, that was advice someone gave me when I started, like when I got into this long distance relationship was to whenever you say goodbye, I always know the next time we're going to see each other. And like, we didn't like we haven't always been able to do it because you don't always have the privilege of that. Like sometimes I don't know when I'm going to get off work next or whatever it is. But to at least have this like strong focus on being like we need to have a date soon of when it is. And if it's going to be in six months, then fine. But let's like pick that time and the place so that we like can kind of focus on that and not feel just like lost in the muck of this this thing that's so ambiguous and doesn't feel real. Yeah, I agree. Always knowing when you're going to see each other next, even if you don't know exactly where or how it's going to happen, but have those dates sorted. It's so important to to have something to focus on. At the same time, you do kind of live your life by a little bit of a countdown. And it's very hard to fall into the trap of, you know, you you arrive and you see your other half and it's so excited and you instantly go, we've only got six days. No, we've only got five days left. And you have to really force yourself to just, just forget about it, just enjoy this time and stop the clock for a little while was it hard when you're doing all these travels because obviously when you're traveling and you're in a new place you feel compelled to cram as much in as possible and see everything and experience everything because you're like oh my god I'm in Cairo for four days I have to do everything but you also want to be together and a lot of being together is sitting and doing nothing and just like watching tv sleeping late like being lazy together how did you kind of juggle those two needs. I think we did to begin with. We did the proper kind of full on 
sort of whirlwind through the places we visited. I think we'd been together about two and a half years before we had our first night in on the sofa watching television. Um, and it was because I, I was ill, I think. <laughs> We'd gone away and we were in an Airbnb in uh, Washington, D.C. And I wasn't feeling great. And I said, can we just stay in and have a takeaway? Um, and uh, I remember getting to the end of that night and I'm going, well, we know we can cope with each other <laughs> when nothing's really happening. So that's probably a good sign. <laughs> Um, that it, that like is a milestone. Hard. It yeah. was a huge milestone. Just sitting on the sofa. Um, yeah, I, I I found that hard to begin with. Over time, we sort of um, started doing more trips where we would perhaps have a couple of days in a city, really, you know, going for it, sightseeing, and then two days on a beach to just sit and be calm. Uh, and that uh, helped. That helped me. I think uh, Brian was probably quite happy to just keep doing lots of sightseeing. But and it took him a while to get used to the sort of lying about on the beach thing. But uh, yeah, that was that was what I enjoyed. Did you find it stressful when you would meet people on those trips and they'd ask where the two of you were from and where you lived and you'd have to be like, uh, well, so I'm here and he's there, but um, we're together and like it's a bit complicated. I felt like I always have to like, I would always have to justify our situation in some way to like make it more palatable to the person I was speaking to. I found people found it very romantic. <laughs> um, I think I got we got pretty good reactions from people when we're traveling. Yeah. yeah, people find it very romantic. And yes, you do get a lot of questions. I enjoyed telling people about it. It was um, I, I, I always used to think that it was when I was able to tell people we've been doing it for sort of four years or five years at this point. People were like, wow, how nice. And you get to travel so much. Uh, People, you know, you don't tell them about the down, the downsides, just the positives. I feel like all my close friends and family were like super on board with us from a very early stage um, because they're great and that's why they're my close friends and that's why I love my family. But um, I think there definitely were some people who loved the romance of it until it turned out that we were actually serious and it wasn't a bit of fun and then they couldn't wrap their head around it. And... Um, like you were saying, Megan would ask like sort of oddly personal questions like, well, when are you going to see each other next? And like, do you, you know, do you think it's going to work out? Like, do you think this is going to be forever? And I'm like, do you ask everyone about their relationships that way? Well, yeah. And people will say things like, that's so crazy. And I know they're just reacting. But when you're like, I know it's crazy. This is really overwhelming to me. Like, I am like, I don't want to have two different world clocks on my phone that I check all the time. Or like, and I think you know, you have to like focus on the positive and share that with people. But I have definitely experienced people who are just like, wow, I could never do that. I'm like, okay. Well, like, you're not doing it. So <laughs> you're not doing it. And I'm really trying to, you know, keep the stamina up sometimes. So, but I think, yeah, it's like, it is only about you two ultimately. And I think that something that was interesting for me because we started dating when I was, we, you know, I was in my early twenties and I feel like at that age, and especially before that, something you care so much about when you start dating someone is what your friends think. So it's like, is he actually cute? Is he kind of weird? Like, does that thing he does kind of annoy you or do we love it? Like this external validation now, I feel like I don't care if I like someone, I like someone, but it that felt a lot more important to me at that time. And so I remember being like, what if we date for two years and I bring him home? My friend's like, he's a weirdo. Like he is just so weird and I do not see this working out and like obviously I got over it and friends met Henry and were like he's lovely and I knew he was lovely but it was like to be kind of younger going into something like that and to date someone for so long before your people met him also made me be like this is I really can't think about other people's judgment I have to just have this be about me and us or it'll never work. It's interesting to hear that because I was 
I'm not going to say I was old, but I was nearly 30 when I met um, Brian, and um, he's a couple of years older than me. And 30 is no age, but <laughs> already people are beginning to sort of start wondering when you're going to settle down. And, you know, for, for us, I think the questions early on from, from friends and family was, well, which one of you is going to move? And we'd just say, you know, we'd say it to our face, which one of you is going to move? How are you going to sort this out then? And, and we just have to go, we don't really know yet to be <laughs> haven't had that conversation. We don't, we don't have an answer, clearly, because we're still travelling to see each other. Um, and it's, it's interesting to hear that actually you have the same pressures. It doesn't really matter what age you are. Yeah. You still face the same, those same pressures of people wanting that to be a temporary situation. Like, oh, well, that's nice. You're travelling to see each other. But, when, you know, you should stop doing that. You should settle down. People have so many opinions about people do. people's <laughs> lives. Well, it's also it's just, you know, essentially speaks to an expectation to conform to like a certain way of living and like not to sort of sound like having, you know, a partner in a different place is some sort of like, I'm citizen of the world and like I walked my own beat or whatever. Mm. But like it doesn't fit nicely in a box in the way that like the path of a relationship when you're both in the same place does to people. And I remember sort of, talking to my mum about it because I was feeling really frustrated and feeling sort of you know I don't know just sort of pressure from people to be able to like answer to them for like what on earth this thing was that I got myself into and my mum was just like firstly people are dumb so don't listen to them and she was like just wait till you have a baby because the questions will get that much more intrusive <laughs> and rude she was like people love to ask about other people's lives and it was quite good advice because then I kind of just realized that it wasn't anything personal and people are always going to ask that about something that they're curious about. Well, and you also realize people are asking, like, they're literally asking about themselves. So when someone's asking about, like, wow, how can you handle, like, the uncertainty of it? It's because uncertainty is something that's hard for them. And, like, I think mm -hmm. when you're just, like, no one's ask, actually asking about me. Like, everyone's trying to figure out something they're working on in their minds and then you just stop caring. But it still is disarming at first, for sure. I'm now going to ask you all a personal question. Um, <laughs> Get out! <laughs> but How dare you? Lale and Sarah, you guys have both ended, Sarah, for you quite recently, the long distance part for now of the relationship. What has going from being long distance to living together done? And what have the different challenges shown up? That's not a sentence, but <laughs> we'll go with it. It's been lovely. It really has. Uh, we always used to say we, we travelled a lot and we didn't live with each other, but it always felt like coming home when we were together. And now we actually do have a home together. And that, and it's really nice. And, you know, it's a bit of a new, you know, a new adventure. <laughs> we are having to deal with a more mundane side of things. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It, it, that's, that's quite nice. Uh, I know that travel will always be in our future together. We'll always keep going on trips as many as we can We're from different places just visiting each other's families going to involve travel but having those you know exotic adventurous trips to you know strange places um is something we'll keep doing um but i i you know it's it's all been positive so far but like i say it's only been three months so <laughs> who knows <laughs> That's I feel so like exciting. you've had enough time to figure it figure out well that's are. that's the thing you know if if you help you do spend that much time with someone you, it's not a huge surprise when you move in with them they you know you know what someone's like by and that hopefully stage your apartment bathroom has a door <laughs> very solid door <laughs> lolly how about you what have i learned well now actually at this point we have been in the same place together longer than we were apart 
So this feels very much our normal now. Um, and when we were first living together in the same city, we were sharing a tiny, tiny, tiny studio. And I think a lot of people would have driven each other mad and we didn't. And I think, what did I learn from it? I think it like made us stronger as a couple. I think both of us have jobs that require us to travel a lot. He's been away all this week for work. I'll be going away soon for, for my job. And we feel very secure in that. And it's never been a point of contention that both of us have to travel. And we're both pretty ambitious and love our jobs a lot. And we have an understanding that that's fine. And, you know, obviously I miss him when we're apart, but I'm never stressed by it. And I think sometimes when couples haven't had to deal with time apart before, that it's, you know, it's this whole minefield that you have to navigate and rightly so. So I think that's really strengthened us. And again, I think what you were saying about that love of travel staying I think being in a long distance relationship lets you know that the person you're with has a similar set of priorities and like wants a similar lifestyle and so there's never been a question of the fact that both of us want to see new places and experience new things and fly halfway or the whole way around the world for something crazy because we've done it before and now we get to do it together oh that feels like a really beautiful place to end just so that everyone knows listening, we're going to put up a post in our Women Who Travel Facebook group and on Instagram for you to share your own long distance survival tips and ask our experts questions. We'll link both of those in the show notes so that you can join the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Sarah, if people want to follow your life in New York now uh, on social media, where can they find you? Uh, Sarah Walton News, both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Megan, how about you? At Spirelli on Instagram. Lale. At Lale Hannah. I'm at at oh hey there mayor you can also follow women who travel at women who travel on instagram be sure to subscribe to our women who travel newsletter for stories and info on our meetups and trips as well we will talk to you next week and if you are watching this video either i'm dead or i'm in a very 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 bad situation she said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.